The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare wrap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. If you're just now joining us, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. We're in season seven where we're writing the consumer health playbook and answering the questions, who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? Let us know what you think about this episode and what topics you're dying to hear about in future episodes by reaching out on LinkedIn or Twitter at Healthcare Wrap. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about a new video from Andrew King on healthcare consumerism. It's an uphill battle to get different entities and stakeholders on the same page to prioritize consumer initiatives. So how can we tell the story of the consumer shift and why it matters? I'll talk about that. Then Kelly Gill is back in the house to share some more provocative thinking about career planning for young professionals in the healthcare innovation space. This is the second in a three-part series for early career professionals, those with a few years of experience who are looking at what's ahead. Kelly will let us in on some powerful ways to better understand career choices at the intersection of healthcare, tech, and innovation. There are positives and negatives to every career choice. He'll also give us a firsthand look at how the great resignation is impacting the digital health talent wars. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Can you condense the past, present, and future of healthcare consumerism into a single seven-minute video? When I see a piece of content that teaches me and entertains me at the same time, I like to share it. And so when I came across Andrew King's video on consumerism recently, I couldn't help but repost it. Andrew has made a name for himself by producing video montages on pertinent subjects for healthcare digital and marketing professionals. His latest one is on healthcare consumerism. Hey, hey, wait. Don't tune out just because I said consumerism. Listen, not all content on this topic is me too or vanilla. In fact, I have to say that in just a few minutes, Andrew's video provides more truth and reality about the topic than I've gotten in most of the conferences I've attended or industry media that I've consumed over the last few years. And believe me, that reality check component is important when we want to know where to go from here. One of my favorite exchanges in the video is between Andrew and Matt Gov, Chief Marketing Officer at Summit Health. Matt set up the entire conversation by explaining that the word consumerism got a lot of attention without anyone really understanding what it meant. And because of that, everyone approached the shift in three different ways. First, investing tons of dollars in consumer marketing and rebranding campaigns. Second, improving access to their systems. And third, there was a set that really thought that technology was going to solve the problems with tons of point solutions. Sound familiar to anybody? Andrew then asked, so if it's not about using a veneer of consumer marketing tactics, if it's not about creating more access, and if it's not about activating a never-ending stream of technology, what is keeping healthcare systems from competing? To which Matt answered that the primary hurdle remains inertia. It remains a resistance to movement from the people who understandably are still the primary product, 
namely doctors. Another favorite moment was from Craig Karchner, the AVP of Marketing and Customer Experience at Honor Health. Craig explained that anyone who works in customer experience in healthcare has caught flack from clinicians for using that term customer. But the great thing about referring to our customers as customers is that it implies competition. I also loved some important points about experience design from Ben Tingey, Innovation Manager at Atrium Health, and Sarah Saldoff, Head of Product Management and Product Design at Ohio Health. Ben said, you know what, it's nice to not have to write on a piece of paper when you go to your annual checkup, but if you have an iPad and it takes just as long, is it any better? Then later he made the point that at other companies like Amazon or Walmart, the digital experience is not the end, it's a means to an end. It's not the way to engage, it's a mechanism to engage. And my favorite quote from Sarah was, people don't check their expectations at the door because you're a health system. I think for far too long, healthcare has gotten a free pass. We blamed it on HIPAA, we blamed it on complex data, And all those things are true, but there have to be ways around it. I'll let you discover the rest, but it's worth watching. Just look up Andrew or True North Custom. My point in sharing this with you is that it's helpful to understand the narrative around the topic of consumerism. And yes, while the sheer mention of it can draw a lot of eye rolls, that doesn't mean we get to ignore it. In fact, it's even more reason to redouble our efforts to make progress. It takes a lot to get different entities and stakeholders on the same page and prioritize consumer initiatives. It's an uphill battle. No one understands that better than me, but it's a battle worth fighting. I encourage you, don't give up. Take the time to find new ways to tell the story of what the consumer shift is and how we have to address it or get disrupted. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, let's get into the flow, everybody. Uh, Give it up for Kelly Gill. Kelly is back in the house. He's here to share some provocative thinking about some advice for younger professionals. We're going to define what that means. We're going to define where to go from there. And you're going to learn a lot from what Kelly's got for you today. So first and foremost, Kelly, welcome back to the Healthcare App. Yeah, glad to be here, Jared and Zane. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what's interesting is we were just looking at it and it's very hard to believe. I'm going to attribute this to the way that time and space work in my mind now. I have no idea if it's been a day, a week, a year. It was last April that we first had you on the podcast and none of us could believe that, but at least on the schedule, that's what it shows. So a lot has happened and that was before the great resignation was a thing we were really talking about, which is really, really crazy and and hard to believe. And yet that's the world we're in now. Yeah, it is bonkers. I guess COVID time is still a thing, right? We can still claim that, right? We're in this compressed time vacuum with all the variants. Yeah, it, it was baffling to think that it's been almost a year since I've been on. And yeah, we were talking, Jared, before the start of the show about the timing of the great resignation. And I think, you know, back when I was on in April of last year, probably the undercurrents were there, right? Some of the the leading indicators were were starting to culminate, but it just wasn't so prevalent yet that it had a label on it. And fast forward, what, 10 months or so here now, and it is a full-blown, I mean, I hate to use kind of a an exaggerative label, but it's almost a crisis, right? For many organizations. Right. What I'm really excited to bring you on here and share with our listeners is your perspective because you have a really 
impressive. Just to look out there in terms of your day-to-day work, I think one way maybe I'd put it is that you're talented at sourcing and placing talent. That's one way to say it. But really briefly, briefly for those who didn't hear the first time you were on, what did I miss in your bio? Like executive recruiting, talent management, uh, amazing things happening. What did I miss? Fill in the blanks here real quick in your bio. Yeah, happy to. For this healthcare-specific audience, I have worked for large provider health systems that are integrated, you know, provider-sponsored health plans, research institutes, massive healthcare delivery footprint. I've worked for healthcare technology companies, venture-backed digital health startups. I have run recruiting agencies as a third-party kind of agent and ally and partner to both of those types of institutions, helping them access and engage various types of talent, ranging from kind of commercial sales-oriented, partnerships-oriented kind of ecosystem talent into product managers, product designers, people that are hands-on turning wrenches in the the development of digital product and technology. So pretty well-rounded healthcare ecosystem perspective. And I guess to even backtrack a little further, I cut my teeth in physician recruiting, right? So very sort of practical, traditional way to enter the healthcare ecosystem. And a lot of that, I would have loved to have worked with large health health systems at that point in my career. Unfortunately, I was working with a lot of rural critical access hospitals, small kind of independent health systems that were regional in nature or federally qualified health centers to find clinical talent, right? Largely physicians, largely primary care, sometimes mid-level as a second order option in some of those areas. So I'm healthcare through and through, right? I've dabbled outside of it, but generally speaking, I would say the overwhelming majority of my career had some type of overlay with this ever-changing landscape of healthcare. Really excited to to bring you on here. And uh, Zane, maybe I can turn it over to you in terms of uh, setting us up for today's conversation. How do we define, first and foremost, a younger career professional? So to me, you know, younger career professionals are, you know, individuals who, you know, maybe they're coming out of undergrad or coming out of their master's of public health or MBA and are a, interested in getting into healthcare um, or even, you know, individuals who are already sort of who are already in healthcare, be it in a provider system or working with a solution company who, you know, might be in some type of like entry-level project management role. Maybe they are clinical, maybe they're, you know, nursing on the floor or you know, some type of tech and are just really looking now to take their career to the next step. We've been really trying on this podcast to offer some advice on, you know, what, you know, what might be some of the skills that would need to acquire. I mean, obviously it depends where they end up, where they ultimately want to go or what might be some of the the areas within healthcare, the subsectors within health, health, healthcare in general, that are you know ripe for hiring, and so we hope to get some of that perspective from you, Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. I think to be honest, the opportunities for this type of worker and directionally where they could go is very open ended, right? Because I think most every kind of subsector or subdomain of healthcare has some type of hiring need right now. Sure. Right. So my framework around how I would think about this, if I were in this person's shoes is like, have a thesis, Mm. have a theory about healthcare. And if you don't, there is a couple of really valuable paths. Zane, you and I've had these conversations offline, right? Where it is, what is the future of healthcare? Right. And to use the bad Wayne Gretzky analogy or Michael Scott analogy, I don't, I'm, I'm skating to where the puck is going. Okay. So, where is the puck going in healthcare? Is this going to be a direct to consumer type of model where I need to try to proactively get in with an organization that might have a valuable solution set there? 
is this going to be, you know, kind of an enterprise transformation of the traditional healthcare delivery system where I want to go work for a healthcare technology company? I don't really know what my thesis is. I don't know where the puck is going to use that analogy. Sure. But I want a broad exposure. Right. Sure. So if you don't know, that's okay. There's options in consulting. Right. Where you're going to get to see a lot of different things. There is a very real component to saying my baseline should be the current state of healthcare delivery if I don't have a good thesis. So do you go cut your teeth inside of a large health system or inside of a payer to understand the current state landscape and ecosystem? And then from there, once you learn the ropes, you have that context, you can start to sort of predictively look ahead at some things that need to change be improved, be innovated upon, and make a second order decision from there on the next step in your career. Mm, I like that. You know, I think I would agree with that. I don't think there's any harm if you're just starting out to learn basically the incumbent, like the hospital system. I mean, those things aren't going away tomorrow. They certainly will be you know, slowly disrupted, but certainly learning how things work today probably can't steer you wrong at all. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Beyond that, if you had to look at like maybe the next layer of evaluation, where should I go? How should I think about the next steps in my career? You know, something that I've learned firsthand and that I would, I would kind of coach and consult people on is like, what type of environment are you going to be most productive in? Where can you learn most, right? There's a couple of variables there. It's the pace of the organization. It's the growth of the organization or lack thereof. Sure. Right? You may understand about your work styles that if you are in too fast a moving organization with a lot of ambiguity and a lot of change, that is not a good fit for you. And you need to be honest about you. You need to be honest about that, right? A lot of people aren't honest about that or they don't know, right? And that's okay too. You may have to figure that out through practice and through experience. But to me, the biggest undercurrent of everything we've just said is like, where can I learn most and what's my starting point? Because at the end of the day, for kind of the common ground you and, and Jared and I all have, is like we're wanting to see this transformation of healthcare in the U.S. And, and globally. And for that transformation to really happen in the end, there's going to be so many constituents, so many component parts that have to be upended ultimately to result in that. So point being, there's going to be lots of change. You might know where you want to be tomorrow and it's going to change. And so you're going to have to make another decision about where you want to be next. Sure. Kelly, what would you say? And I realized, you know, if I understand your background correctly, you've hired a lot within sort of the digital space, but could you generalize for a moment? What are some of like the big, maybe characteristics or skills that, you know, new school healthcare institution or new school healthcare players and even old school healthcare players are looking to hire? You know, what should, you know, a young careerist getting into healthcare really try to highlight or demonstrate that they have to be a successful candidate. Yeah, not to use a cliched term, but there is sort of an overarching theme that I think you could build a couple of different skill sets against. And <laughs> I'm going to use the word consumerization. Okay. Right. And we know we hear everybody talking about this. And so it's kind of like, what does it mean? What do you mean by that? Because everybody and their mother and their grandmother are saying the consumerization of healthcare. I think generally speaking, like what that means to me and how I think about this topic is there are certain variables that hospitals traditionally compete on mm -hmm. and sort of propagate to their markets as being differentiating factors, mm -hmm. right? You, I've heard you and Jared talk about this before, right? Quality metrics, you know, things like that. And it's like, well, guess what? Every other hospital system also 
propagates those metrics and say that they're really high quality. So yes. is it that big of a differentiating factor? In fact, it really is going to become, we think, table stakes. That's, that should be a given. Yep. And so if that is sort of equivalent across the board, roughly speaking, it's about consumer experience. Sure. That can be for a direct-to-consumer company. That can be for a, you know, a traditional health system like we're talking about. That can be for a payer, right? Where they're thinking about member experience. Because by the way, if anybody working for a payer hears this, I don't mean to offend you, but oftentimes that's horrible. Sure. It, it has been some of the most unpleasant experiences in my healthcare journey <laughs> is calling into payers, trying to get bills and explanation of benefits rectified. So if you think about that as kind of a calling card and a banner, to build design thinking skills, to mm. build hard product skills, right? Maybe, you, maybe you're not gifted and hardwired to be a, an engineer or a software developer, but you're creative and you have a passion for like product design or you are, maybe you're not a designer, but you want to facilitate the build and delivery of product as a product manager, right? All of those things, I think, kind of roll up to this understanding of consumerization, whether it's research, user experience, patient experience, member experience. I think, not that that's rocket science to a lot of other peripheral industries. It's kind sure. of table stakes in a lot of other spaces. It's just not yet in healthcare. I think to kind of bet against that as the next wave of sort of career development is a pretty safe bet. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Healthcare marketers juggling lots to do. Gotta keep patients healthy. Coming back to you, knowing which words will lead more patients to act is not an easy feat, as a matter of fact. Competition heating up, new players on the rise. Persado has the right words already optimized. Just plug in the content, turn it on, and your campaign blues will soon be gone. Persado provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized marketing messaging focused on improving health goals and business objectives. Persado's journey-based content uses the right words proven to drive conversions among the customers that matter most. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com. Healthcare is an industry where women make 80% of buying decisions and are 65% of the workforce. Yet women are notably underrepresented in industry leadership, making up approximately 30% of C-suite teams and just 13% of CEOs. The Hit Like a Girl podcast ensures that more women's voices from healthcare and health IT are heard in an effort to inform policy as well as to help more women advance within the industry. I'm the show's founder and host, Joy Rios, and I interview women leaders to amplify their work. New episodes are released weekly on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Health Podcast Network, or wherever you tune in. To find out more, you can follow us on social media or go to hitlikeagirlpod.com. Okay, back to the flow. You mentioned kind of related to that because these are such new things. It's not like the the thing that people necessarily went to school for and studied as their main focus, something like consumerism or design thinking. In a lot of cases, there's skills that they've brought to the table, even in early career opportunities. And you mentioned about the importance of having a perspective or having an opinion or having a hypothesis about healthcare and whether it's 
you know, legit or not, or right or wrong, to have that perspective. What suggestions do you have for representing that, like on a resume or when you're applying for something? How how do you let people know, hey, I've got this this opinion, or or you know, I've I've learned this thing, or I think this one thing. Like if it's not part of a job title, like how do they represent that? Yeah, great question. There is, I think, some overt ways to represent that. Like if we're talking about the notion of a resume and how could I, you know, I've not spoken to somebody at one of these institutions that maybe I'm applying for or interested in getting into, but I need to sort of signal this thesis or this philosophy that I have. I think there's a couple of different ways you can do that. Some are more overt than others. Generally speaking, as a guy that has sifted through probably hundreds of thousands of resumes mm-hmm. in, in my career thus far, the overwhelming majority of like objective statements or these professional summaries on, on resumes, which that's a whole separate discussion on whether or not this is the right kind of ticket to ride for career opportunities. Is this piece of paper going to adequately sum up what you bring to the table? But let's assume for a minute that hasn't gone away. We're using resumes. Most of those professional summaries, most of those objective statements are horrible. They're overly generalized. They don't add any value above and beyond kind of the career experience that a recruiter or a hiring manager is going to go sift through below in your resume. But done right, it is a self-selection tool and mechanism to frame up your personal thesis, right? Where you can call out, hey, I'm passionate about the consumerization of healthcare, or I'm passionate about the transformation of this particular area of healthcare, And I am seeking out career opportunities that are going to accomplish X and Y and Z in that aim. Something like that is, again, you've not talked to anybody, but you're kind of laying down your card and saying, hey, this is what I want to do. And a guy like me, if I see that and I believe that's the type of opportunity that I've got in the bag, it's a huge boost to say, okay, this person gets it. And then the other thing that comes to mind as a really simple way, again, assuming the framework of a resume is there would be, I think, less overt ways to call out some of this by way of, like, I know in the last copy a few years ago of my resume that I did, calling out certain podcasts or books that I subscribe to and that I'm passionate about and that I follow, right? Where that's a a bit of a, a signal of, like, this is the space that I play in, that I spend time in learning about, and that I try to absorb. And again, for somebody in that same space, they're going to recognize those things. So I love that as an addition to something like a resume. I think that's, I think that's really wise counsel. Kelly, with you know, all the interviewing you've been doing, you know, the reviewing of resumes, this might be a little bit of a controversial question, but do you feel that, you know, call it the traditional healthcare educational structure. So whether you go to get an MBA or MPH or you know, maybe not not so much on the clinical side, like nursing school or becoming a physician. Right. Do you feel that these schools are even educating, you know, the future healthcare more on the inside workforce, providing them with the right skills, the right knowledge to be successful in some of the roles that you're seeing pop up? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it depends on what environment we're talking about, right? So I'll take two, right? I'll take kind of two two responses here. My general response is they're probably not equipping folks very well. Number one, if you go get an MBA or an MPH or an MHA or something to that effect, right? Not with the concession that I'm not a guy that's been through any of those programs, right? But I've, I've engaged many, 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 many people that have. And you're thinking, I want to go to work inside of a healthcare technology company. I want to go to work for a growth organization that's disrupting healthcare. Generally speaking, 
the way that technology companies are oriented is they're not going to weight that degree over your ability to execute or your hands-on experience and knowledge. Okay. Mm-hmm. So think about it just logically. If those degrees are oriented towards sort of the traditional or current state healthcare ecosystem, sure. and this player, the non-incumbent, the challenger in this framework is there to upend those things, turn them on their head. Maybe you can make the argument having that baseline knowledge educationally understands what you're trying to disrupt, helps you understand that. But I don't know that it really enables you to do that well, right? So I don't know that it's as valuable if you want to go to kind of the technology side of the ecosystem. Sure, sure. I'd also make the argument, Zane, on the traditional side. You go get those degrees and some of them, the rub is, and you know this, right? A lot of healthcare systems, they have very specific and rigid educational requirements that are aligned to job codes and to job descriptions that it's like moving mountains to get those things changed from time to time. Yeah, I've been there. And you've been there. I've been there. And so if healthcare is evolving at such a rapid pace and you consider kind of higher education curriculum to lag, right? It's got to lag somewhat because it's teaching you what has been. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily predicting where things are going. Maybe the most innovative programs, the best programs are you walk into a health delivery system with a real good understanding of how things have been in the current state, but does that help you understand where things are going? I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how innovative that health system is, right? They may not even be thinking about that. They may not be worried about where things are going. They're just trying to pay the bills today, in which case maybe they view that as very valuable. But I think if we're taking a futuristic kind of vision-oriented forward-looking perspective, I don't know how much incremental value that gives you over your ability to execute and operate in these environments. Like that, I think that's wise counsel. I think about like, you haven't been through a graduate degree program yet, but the skills that I use every day, more so around, you know, human-centered design, design thinking, actually picked up not necessarily working for my formal employer, but just through, you know, side things I've been a part of. For sure. Like this podcast, things like Hacking Health, and those things have turned out to become the most valuable education, but it was never delivered in a formal environment. And so I just wonder, you know, it's like you already gave the answer, but what the, the caliber of some of these candidates are, you know, as they're finding their way to your desk. Kelly, what would you say would be some like cool and exciting like job titles that are coming up that, you know, maybe people who are pursuing a healthcare you know, career aren't even aware exist? Are there some, a couple off the top of your mind you could share? Yeah, I can. This may depart a little bit from the three to five year kind of career window that we referenced earlier, but I am seeing stuff develop that is truly in an innovation capacity. That's a very overused term, probably in the same bucket as consumerization and transformation. I'm like, okay, like adding a digital widget probably isn't transformation. Let's not call it that, right? (laughs) And oftentimes it does get labeled. But there are these capacities that are at the intersection of commercial responsibility, right? Inside of organizations where they are out there evangelizing a new, disruptive, innovative technology. So you've got to have a bit of a, a sales bent to you right? To be able to articulate these things in a compelling way. And it's the other side of the border, right? I said it's at the intersection of commercial and product, right? Where some of those roles are also meant to be a direct feedback loop by way of that evangelism and articulation into a particular customer base, simultaneously extracting feedback 
understanding where there's gaps, understanding where there's needs that aren't being met, understand. And this is a lot of kind of the design thinking and almost like UX research type of framework here, right? Where that can be parlayed as feedback to influence the product roadmap, right? Building what your customers want ultimately. So I think those are really cool roles that I'm seeing pop up more and more where you get to wear multiple hats. You're not segmented into being, I'm a product guy or I'm a, I'm a sales girl, right? You've got the ability to kind of sit at the fringe of both of them, which for product-led companies, is really important. If you've got a great product, but you don't have proper distribution, that's a challenge. You're going to face some serious headwinds. Uh, I think that's, got- pretty, yeah, that's particularly a challenge in healthcare because yep. usually these product companies are selling into health systems. And as you probably know, like the sales cycle in a health system is insane. And so if you don't get traction real quick, you you might have a great product, but no one to sell it to for a year and a half to two years. So totally agree with that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that is is the rub for a lot of kind of disruptors in trying to get in is can you make it through that first sales cycle in a substantive enough way that you've got money in the bank, right? Or is your message so compelling that you can go fundraise against it, right? That's the alternative, right? To kind of bridge you across multiple sales cycles. But yeah, great call out. Yeah, I think one other question I'd have, Kelly, is just like, what else is unique about digital health? You referred to how quickly things are changing and that refers to everything from job titles to the opportunities themselves. What else is unique about opportunities in this field that's just good to consider as somebody's looking at their career trajectory? As far as opportunities in digital health, one of the things that I generally love about the space that some people really feel conflicted about is if I'm going to go into technology, and I was drawn to healthcare originally for a reason. This, I, I wanted to help people. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make an impact. And so what I love about digital health, and I think one of the, the opportunities there is like most people, a lot of people, a commonly held opinion is that healthcare is going to be effectively transformed from the outside, mm. right? Not everybody agrees with that, but a lot of people say it is, there is too many obstacles and headwinds for this to be an inside out type of transformation. It's going to have to be disrupted, right? So from a digital perspective, technically, right, maybe that could be inside of a health system, that could be inside of a payer, that could be externally in a healthcare technology organization. But what I love about the emergence of digital is it is a very high leverage space to continue to make impact at scale, right? The way that you would think about that before, like, and I, I, my default analogy and framework largely you know, big health systems. That's kind of where I cut my teeth. And so you're like, all right, I might get inside of this organization and I can affect a hundred thousand members on our health plan, or I can affect a patient population, you know, 3 million patients in our catchment area across multiple hospitals and regions. That's great. Right. But then to be able to say the opportunity in digital is that I can affect triple quadruple quintuple that number at the scale of impact with digital solutions is one of the best, in my mind, kind of differentiators for these mission-driven people. And that's a large reason why people kind of reconcile sometimes this idea of going to the the dark side, I'm doing air quotes here, of technology is, oh my gosh, am I going to be, is it going to be move fast and break things and 
Am I going to have to give up this missional orientation? And for the right companies, the ones that are aligned, it is the intersection of those things. It's the culmination of both of those things, which is awesome. One final question for you, Kelly. If you had to restart your career all over again, you know, is there something you'd do differently? Would you stay in the space, the recruiting space that you're in? Would you do something totally different? Tell us. This is a really good question. I think probably more deeply about this from time to time than a lot of my peer group, you know, kind of colleagues and collaborators in recruiting. I'm going to lay out an unpopular opinion for many people uh, that come from my background, which is I think it, it is inevitable that at some point, I don't know exactly at which point, that the way recruiting happens is going to be turned on its head. If you think about sort of the disintermediation of a lot of industries where third parties and agents and facilitators and people that work at the fringe as, you know, sort of translators, if you will, between multiple parties, eventually technology tends to catch up and serve as that translator, serve as that bridge, serve as that intermediary. And so there's companies that try to do that. You might think about LinkedIn as a great example of like, that creates a direct connection between a lot of prospective employers and a lot of prospective employees, mm. right? In, in this kind of digital marketplace, if you will. And so it has been incredibly valuable, I think, specific to healthcare for me just to, through conversations, Zane, with like really, really smart people. Sure to learn all of these different facets of the industry. So the learning has been wonderful, but there's a part of me that's like, okay, at some point, how do you start to, even for myself, how do I build that more digital muscle, right? How do I start to think about product? How do I think of, about sort of self-disruption where maybe you're the one with the fundamental knowledge of the recruiting industry and you're the one building the product that's going to disintermediate the space that you've come from? I don't know if that answers exactly. I, I think I probably, I wouldn't change it, but I would earlier in my trajectory and career have greater exposure to building software, delivering software and other digital solutions. I feel like I'm kind of late. And it's probably not true, but at the end of the day, I think we're at a stage in life where for young professionals, old professionals, mid-career folks, there is never a more ripe time than right now to start to build some of that muscle and, and accumulate those skills. You know, I think about you know, Scott Galloway on his podcast, the Prof G podcast, he, he often, when he does his office hour section, gives career advice. And he said many times, you know, if he was just starting off again, he would launch his career at the intersection of technology and healthcare. So I think at least the three of us made the right decision. <laughs> Good call out. I love that. Fantastic. Well, this was fantastic, Kelly, catching up. I hope it's not nearly another year before we chat with you again. So thank you so much for your time and uh, the insights that you share. And hope you can continue to be successful in, in your work with your firm and find the right people and place them in some really transformative positions. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a blast. I uh, appreciate what you're doing to kind of push the bounds of the industry and challenge thinking. And I will always be a welcome return guest to the extent you want to have me. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. 
Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.